salutations, sports and wrestling fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. Yes, it is time for another glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. I, as always, your humble and glorious host, Michael Shibley, still the ace of Tennessee sports podcasting. But my goodness, I yes, you can tell my mood is not as high as it usually is as we start this podcast, and of course that's because as we dive right into it, my beloved Tennessee Vols opening the season against Georgia State. I had the good fortune of having the full day off from work, uh, which was good. I thought, hey, I could sit back and watch the game and kick back and enjoy an easy win as Tennessee gets started on this season where we see vast improvement and look for Tennessee to make a move back to full relevancy again. And I figured, you know, my wife, Mrs. Shibbles, was going to come back from the mall and we'd enjoy the second half together and just have a good evening after that. And instead, that wasn't the case, as Tennessee loses in probably the worst loss in Tennessee football history. And we'll talk about that here in a second. As they lose to Georgia State, a team that was 2-10 last year, we lost 38-30. to And the only reason it was 8 points was because we got a thank you touchdown with Two seconds left to go. So you have all of that going in. Tennessee, of course, paying Georgia State $950,000, which has been really interesting to explain why we had to pay them that uh, to especially people who aren't big sports fans. So that's been fun. To, it was just flat. Tennessee got flat out coached by Sean Elliott and the whole staff at Georgia State University. It was just so many questions on offense, defense. Georgia State, and they're not, you would think, a program. They were projected and picked to finish last in their division in the Sun Belt. This wasn't Appalachian State from a couple of years ago or a top mid-major like even BYU coming in next week. This was, again, a team 2-10 and last year. Tennessee has been playing football since 1891 when Benjamin Harrison was president. Georgia State started playing football when Barack Obama was president. So there's a difference in tradition and winning, and it's just so unacceptable on so many reasons. There were so many things that just went wrong in this game. I mean, yes, the offensive line is still a big issue, but, I mean, Garantano, I guess that's how he's pronouncing it now, Garantano... You know, made, I think, some bad decisions. I think the coaching staff just overall with the defense and everything just didn't get these guys ready to play or they just expected this to be almost like a preseason game because that seemed to be the way it started with this game, that it just looked like they were treating it as a preseason game and that's all it was going to be. And once Tennessee realized they were in a fight, they just got flat out played, especially in the second half. You could see the first half maybe being a fluke because that's happened before where a team hangs around, but then the better team just pushes the other guys off the ball and dominates. And a lot of us thought that's what at least was going to happen in the second half, and then that just didn't happen. Georgia State just flat out played and out coached Tennessee, and it was just mind boggling to sit there and watch all day long. Tennessee, again, having issues, it seems like, for whatever reason, not getting the ball to playmakers when you need to. I mean, you have Juwan Jennings, who still had the most receptions, but you look at some of those third and shorts or some of the other plays you had in that game. There's one where Tennessee ended up kicking a field goal to take the lead back from Georgia State in the second half, 
and it was, I think, like a third and three, and for some reason, they throw the ball to the backup tight end on a zero yardage gain, and it's like Juwan Jennings was like a guy who you throw up a 50-50 ball, and it's not a 50-50 ball with Juwan Jennings, especially against probably the weak secondary that Georgia State has. And some of those questions, some of the bad misses on offensive line. Now, again, I'm not blaming the offensive line on all of those sacks. Garantano had some of those as well because, I mean, not recognizing a corner blitz that we all saw coming from half a mile away, some of those were definitely... uh, uh, you know, Jared Garantano's fault, but my goodness, it's just amazing where you look at where this program has fallen. When you look at just bad losses and bad things, they got worse. Even when you look at just how bad the season ended with those games against Missouri and Vanderbilt last year for Tennessee, this was worse. I mean, Georgia state, again, they just, Sean Elliott, the head coach, said it after the game. They say in the SEC it means more. Well, it meant more to Georgia State in this one, flat out. And the Tennessee players and coaches just could not get their heads around it and realize that they were in this fight and couldn't get out of it. And, I mean, I know Tennessee had some turnovers. Because usually when games like this and upsets like this happen, it's because Tennessee you commit like a slew of turnovers, not just three. And three was bad. You know, the first one to Chandler, I get you're excited, you're ready to go. And yeah, that could sway things because that first fumble, interception, whatever that was, and then Georgia State gets the ball deep in, in Tennessee's end and is able to score. That's fine. Tennessee scored two quick touchdowns right after that, which is what you're supposed to do, and then just put them out of the way. But then Georgia State drove down the field again. So again, turnovers are a thing, but it, usually these upsta- upsets happen when the team that's supposed to win commits like six or seven turnovers, not just three. It it was just, or just weird injuries happen or some fluke thing. This was no fluke by the end of it. This was a dominating win by Georgia state. So when you look at the history of Tennessee and we'll do that a little bit, and of course we can get into more depth, of course, myself and uh, my friend from half Trey pack. He's going to be of course with us for the college football preview edition of Modern Day Gladiators. The first episode was last week. You're going to have it this week. So, of course, we've got this episode where I just talk about my reactions, and then, of course, we're going to have some other things that we talk about with Shibbles and Bits and pro wrestling, of course. But then, uh, and then, of course, we'll pick more of the games as well, and we'll break some of this down more individually. But now looking historically at some of the absolute worst losses in Tennessee history. Because again, people are already ready to just claim that this is the worst loss. And I have a feeling it is. And this is not just looking at it from a historical perspective of 10 years. Because you look at, especially with the way social media works, and the way people's feelings are now, and the way this latest generation come up, they think history is only 10 years ago where it's not that. I mean, history goes back a long freaking way, and of course, as we're celebrating 150 years of college football, there's a lot. So you look at some of these losses, and of course, fans who have been with Tennessee a long time have already made mention of a lot of these losses, but we'll run them down because apparently I'm wanting to commit more pain to myself at this point. I'm becoming a masochist, obviously, when I just want to relive some of the most painful moments and head scratchers in my in my history as a fandom. You look at before I was born, 1975, North Texas State comes in, beats Tennessee 21-14. to 
the biggest thing, a 98-yard kickoff return in the final five minutes to take the lead, and Tennessee just couldn't recover. But though that North Texas team finished 7-4 and four on the season, Tennessee went 7-5. and five. So, again, it, it you see at least te- North Texas was a winning team. 1979 Rutgers, that's the famous one where the Knoxville, one of the papers in Knoxville, one of the columnists asked, what is a Rutgers? Tennessee found out as Rutgers beat Tennessee 13-7. to Tennessee was ranked 17th in the country. They were a 21-point favorite. They were a 25-point favorite against uh, Georgia State, just for a little perspective there. But that Rutgers team did finish 8-3. and Meanwhile, that North Texas team also barely lost to Mississippi State the week prior. So again, these teams were not just terrible, terrible teams. Tennessee finished 7-5 and five that season. Then, of course, you go into the more modern era, one that Tennessee fans just, you know, rip your heart out. You look at the 1996 game against Memphis, where the Memphis team, they finished 4-7. and seven. That was the only win, like, at the back half of their season was beating Tennessee. Uh, you know, they beat them. It was that 95-yard kickoff return where the guy's elbow was obviously down, but it wasn't seen. If you had instant replay like you do now, that would have obviously been overturned, but Tennessee couldn't rebound from that. Tennessee was in great position, again, to quite possibly play Florida, at least maybe in the national championship, or make noise that they should be champions because their only loss was to Florida. They also lost to Memphis. Tennessee finishes 10-2 and in 96. Of course, you go into here in the 21st century, you've got the 2005 Vanderbilt game where you had Jay Cutler and Earl Bennett, a couple of NFL players, on the Vanderbilt team. That Vanderbilt team, of course, finished 5-6. and six. Uh, Tennessee had a 24-game winning streak against Vanderbilt at the time. We lose 28-24. Of course, this was the first year since 1988 that Tennessee had not gone to a bowl game. Tennessee still had that, but it was just nothing there. You look at the 2008 Wyoming game, A lot of that was the last time Tennessee lost to a group of five opponent. Fulmer had just pretty much had to announce that he was being forced out. Uh, Tennessee finished 5-7 and seven that year. Uh, that Wyoming team was 4-8. and eight. I was at that game. You talk about a team just sleepwalking through everything, losing 7-13 to 13 against Wyoming. That was just a weird, weird game. You look at the 2011 Kentucky game, where Tennessee, again, had a chance in second-year coach Derek Dooley to at least get back to a bowl game. You win that game, but for some reason, and Tennessee had the 26-game winning streak against Kentucky. They're playing a wide receiver at quarterback and running almost a high school offense because of the injuries that Kentucky had to the quarterback position. Tennessee loses 10-7, to and both Kentucky and Tennessee finish 5-7. and But you look at, again, Georgia State. 2-10 and ten last year, not expected to do much this season. Now, again, they could take the momentum that they have from this game and just ride it and make something of it, but my goodness. So to me, when you look at as a whole, as just stunning, dumbfounded losses, this is probably the worst loss in Tennessee history. Now, does it hurt the most to me as a fan. To me, it doesn't hurt as much as a fan as a couple of games, and I'll use comparisons there. The um, 2001 LSU game in the SEC Championship and the 2018 uh, men's basketball team against Purdue here in the Sweet 16, to me, those were more punishing and just gut-punching losses 
when you look at painful losses in your history because championships are on the line. Of course, if Tennessee beats LSU, they just had just the great and finally ending the losing streak against Florida where everybody's going crazy and we'd already beaten LSU once during the regular season. And the fact that Tennessee, uh, LSU's starting running back and quarterback were both out in that game, and Tennessee still could not beat LSU. We had a chance to play for a national championship in the Rose Bowl against Miami, and Tennessee couldn't get it done. Then, of course, you look at this last year in the basketball. We lose to Purdue. We had a chance to win that game, and we couldn't get it done. And again, Tennessee had a great chance to get to the Final Four and compete really for a national championship. So when a lot of championship stuff is on the line, to me, those are just more painful losses when you know your team should have won that game because again as much as I love Tennessee I was only picking them to go seven and five this regular season so I didn't have them competing for championships but we're just gonna have to come to the realization this team might not be very good you look at now where does Tennessee go from here you got two ways you can go. You can either just pack it in and quit and I don't see Pruitt as that type of coach. I don't see that as the way he is from what I've seen from, again, press conferences and interviews and everything. I don't see him as that type of guy. Or else, you guess what? You guys can just say, screw it, and we're going to go out and just go just all in every week and just see what happens. And that's, again, what we're going to see, and we'll get more telling of what happens as Tennessee plays BYU coming up this week Primetime on ESPN, which should be glorious. You know ESPN was really happy to see that happen (laughs) as all of this. My goodness. Um, Just frustrating again on so many levels. BYU did lose to Utah, but again, they haven't beaten Utah, I think, in eight straight years. And they've got, again, a mobile quarterback. So again, BYU is a much better opponent than what Georgia State is. If Tennessee comes out and just beats BYU, which for some dumb reason I'm still going to predict them to do, I love the fact that then Tennessee can say, hey, let's take care of Chattanooga and then Florida, and then you're into the SEC schedule. So we'll just have to see what happens. This could be just the weirdest and just dumbfounding, you know, aberration of anything or it could just be a harbinger of things to come, and Tennessee maybe goes 1-11, where Chattanooga's the only win. Because that other non-conference game we've got with BYU, Chattanooga, and then UAB, UAB won their conference last year. So, just again, we'll just have to see what ends up with the season. I'm not willing to just burn everything down right now like a lot of people are. And some of the national media needs to lay off on saying that with the whole Shiano thing. Because they're like, well, this is what they get for not hiring Greg Schiano. No, no, no. Greg Schiano had, quite possibly, with all the talent Ohio State had, Ohio State had a terrible defense last year. Schiano not coaching there anymore. He's not coaching anywhere right now. So back off on the Schiano thing just a little bit, okay? So just take a breather with that. And we'll just have to see. Yes, is this the most humiliating loss in Tennessee history? Absolutely. This was awful. So we'll see. But again, if Tennessee picks himself up, beats BYU and beats Chattanooga and head to Florida with at least some momentum, we'll see where it goes from there. But my goodness, again, heart-wrenching, embarrassing, a laughingstock, unexcusable loss that Tennessee had against Georgia State. Meanwhile, you look at the rest of the SEC. The game of the week had to be Auburn against Oregon. My goodness, this was a fun one. Bo Nix, you saw him as a freshman quarterback starting growing up 
just in front of our eyes in one game as he was able to you know run the ball on fourth and three on this last drive and complete a third and ten pass and then with nine seconds left a touchdown pass to win the game over Oregon a very good Oregon team that was just a great game so we'll see where that leads Auburn going into the season of course they beat Washington in a really tough uh, SEC Pac-12 matchup last season and then Auburn just kind of went for a lot of the season so we'll see what happens there what sucks for Oregon is they were probably your best chance to get to a national championship game so the fact that Oregon is losing this that means they can't point to hey a chance that we beat Auburn and that even if with a loss in the Pac-12 Oregon is going to have to run the table the rest of the way most likely to even have a chance of getting into the playoff at this point. So we'll look at that. Alabama, slow start, but took care of Duke, no problem. Georgia, just fine against a stubborn Vanderbilt team. Of course, the Georgia Bulldogs just completely took over Vanderbilt Stadium. You look at, but then you look at some of the other teams. LSU, of course, they got a big game against Texas next week, so they just you know took care of business. My goodness. But then you look at Tennessee feeling terrible. Ole Miss lost to Memphis. Memphis is a pretty good team. I mean, if this, if the Tennessee team that played against Georgia State played against Memphis, Tennessee probably could have lost by three touchdowns. Memphis is that good, or could be that good. South Carolina gave up a, a big lead against North Carolina. Great to see Mac Brown get a big emotional win there back at North Carolina. Missouri, my goodness, offense with Kelly Bryant looks great. But they can't defend against anybody. So it's just going to be pinball-type scores all day. They lost at Wyoming. My goodness, that was just a mess. And speak of a mess, Florida State, they had a big lead against Boise State. And Boise State, with their freshman quarterback, came all the way back and won in Tallahassee. That game was supposed to be a primetime matchup in Jacksonville, but it got moved because of Hurricane Dorian that's still spinning out there, uh, out in the Atlantic Ocean. So... But that's just, again, a head-scratcher where it looked like, for the first half, Florida State had fixed a lot of things. But that offensive line for Florida State, again, you look at this is a team that won a national championship not too long ago with Jameis Winston, and they just have no offensive line again. It is amazing to see the issues that they still are having there, and Willie Taggart, his back is up against the wall again. You look at, of course, some other observations from around college football. Justin Fields, the Georgia transfer, looked great against Lane Kiffin and Florida Atlantic there as Ohio State rolled in that one. Of course, Florida Atlantic kind of came back to him as Ohio State didn't cover. Jalen Hurts, six touchdowns in his debut with Oklahoma versus Houston. He had three running, three passing, so that is great. Notre Dame had some struggles early on before finally putting Louisville away, but that's some caution, especially uh, not next week, but the week after. They're heading down between the hedges to face Georgia, so that's something that should be concerning there. One of the weirder things you look at, Hugh Freeze, who was having you know some issues recovering from surgery, instead of just saying, hey, let the assistant coaches handle this game, he coached from a hospital bed in the press box area, coaching with a headset on against Syracuse, which is just really weird to look at. That was just one of the stranger visuals. You had Dino Babers, the Syracuse coach, you know, instead of going to shake hands, Hugh Freeze is still laid up in a hospital bed, and he's just pointing up to the press box, and Hugh Freeze is giving a thumbs up. 
Hugh Freeze gives the pregame pep talk and a message to the players via the video. Of course, the postgame press conference, because you still got to do product placement, had that Coke Zero bottle just right there in the camera. It's just an odd situation where, to me, it's just like, let one of the assistant coaches just run it and get better. My goodness. But Hugh Freeze, Mr. It's All About Me, and wow, he made it all about himself at Ole Miss, too. My goodness. Uh, just Just strange to see that. At, uh, as he's coaching at Liberty. Uh, Iowa State struggling. They had their first top 25 ranking in a long time in the preseason. They struggled with Northern Iowa, a good FCS opponent. They went to triple overtime in this one, and Iowa State almost lost it. Uh, they needed a touchdown to win in triple overtime. The running back for Iowa State fumbled the ball, and uh, it was all around a bunch of Northern Iowa players right at the goal line. Luckily, Brock Purdy, the quarterback, was able to dive on it and almost save just what Iowa State is wanting to do this season. Iowa State scored a uh, touchdown to win on the very next play. Uh, You look at, though, one of the coolest incidents, not incidents, wow, one of the coolest moments that happened, though, at uh, this season already was Nevada kicker uh, Brandon uh, Talton. He was a a freshman kicker, didn't even know he was going to be the starting kicker until that day as Nevada was playing Purdue, and then Nevada is able to come back and then kick the game, and uh, Talton kicks a 56-yard field goal to win the game versus Purdue. So not only does he get a game ball, but then the coach tells him in one of those great moments we see, it seems like we see a good dozen of these every every offseason, gives him a scholarship as well. So he wins the game, the longest kick he's ever kicked at any level of football competition, wins the game, and also gets himself a scholarship. So congratulations uh, to Brandon Talton getting a scholarship. You know that's awesome. That's what those guys fight for. So that was really, really cool to see. And probably my favorite moment out of this uh, a painful one for myself here in week one of college football. Week two, we got two big matchups coming up this week. Texas A&M going to Death Valley to play Clemson. Again, Texas A&M pushed Clemson early in Aggieland last year, so we'll see what happens now that it's taking place in Clemson. Uh, that should be a great matchup. Uh, we'll have to see where they go with that. And, of course, Clemson then has Syracuse next week. So, And those are probably, to me, the two toughest games on Clemson's schedule. So we'll see if someone can jump up and bite them early. I don't see it happening, but these should be a good matchup. And then you've got another big matchup, a top-10 matchup, as LSU travels to Austin to take on Texas. If Texas wants to prove that they're really back, this is the game they got to win to prove that. And, of course, we'll break down more of the big games, including some you got to watch out for in Big Ten country. Cincinnati is at Ohio State. Cincinnati just beat UCLA over this past week. And Chip Kelly and UCLA, wow, I don't know what happened to Chip Kelly, but it looks like some of the juju is gone from what Chip Kelly has been able to do on offense. We'll have to see how the season plays out, but it's not looking good for him. And then Michigan is hosting Army, and Army is very good, probably the best military academy this season, but they could be really dangerous, so Michigan needs to be aware of that. We'll break more of that down, of course, coming up on the Week 2 College Football Preview edition of Modern Day Gladiators, and that's coming up later in the week. It should be posted late Thursday, early Friday. Myself, Trey Pack, and anybody else from the Outlander Media Network who wants to join in on that one. Of course, you can check out all the great podcasts on the Outlander Media Network if you go to outlandermedia.com. 
Radio.net. They're all there. DLC Respawn, Haffle, uh, Deadbeat Radio, Scared Stupid, and of course, more great podcasts on the way to the network. And of course, wherever you get your fine podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify, you can check them out. All there. Every Anywhere you listen to these podcasts, please give us those five-star reviews. Like, subscribe, share, all those five-star reviews with the comments in it, that helps us get us out into the ether and out into the world so more people can listen as we continue to take on and take over the world of podcasting here at Outlander Media. And, of course, you can interact with me, Michael Shibley, at Modern Day Gladiators on Facebook or on Instagram and, of course, on my Twitter page at Michael underscore Shibley. Just give us a shout-out there. Of course, if you have any issue or take umbrage with anything else I've said so far on this podcast or anything I'm about to say, hey, I'd be happy to debate you. I want to hear from you. Give me a follow. Talk to me. I'll be there. Slide into my DMs, which is the weird, awkward thing to say. But anyway, and on that awkward note, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with shibbles and bits and, of course, everything that happened in a wild week of professional wrestling here on Modern Day Gladiators on the Outlander Media Network. Ah, yes, you hear the music. You know it's time, of course, as always, on the second half of Modern Day Gladiators for Shivels and Bits. Still waiting for the Pink Panther to tell me to stop playing the song, but until I get a cease and desist order, it's going to keep on keeping on. Welcome back, of course, to Modern Day Gladiators. Michael Shibley, still with you. Haven't gone and buried myself in a hole anywhere after that Tennessee loss to Georgia State. Still here because we got to thank some of the great people that are with us here and on board with us to try and take over the podcasting world here at Outlander Media. The first one, of course, local here in Knoxville, Joe Shirt. These guys know how to take care of business. Joe Shirt, you got an idea with your comedy career. You got an idea with your podcast. You've got, you know, a, a, a softball team. You've got a bowling team. You know, anything, a family reunion, whatever you want to make t-shirts for, Joe Shirt can help you with that. Of course, Joe Shirt Deluxe can help you put your name and brand on mugs and banners and lighters and completely different things that you've got an idea, Joe Shirt can help you. They're local here in Knoxville, Tennessee, so if you're here in Knoxville and you check out Joe Shirt, they can ship everything local. we got some great merch coming, as always, to Outlander Media. You're going to just have to keep an eye on the website for all the great ideas we've got. The shirts are amazing. They're comfortable. They're not the shirts you wear just for being in the presence of the people who got you the shirt or just for the softball game or the family reunion. No. You wear them, you'll wear them whenever you feel like it. They're great, they're comfortable, we love them. Of course, we got some modern-day Gladiator shirts coming as well. Of course, the other one you want to check out that we've got is Otherworldly Coffee. My goodness, these guys, they know how to make some coffee. And I'm not a coffee guy by any means, 
but from what I've been able to, to take and talk to the other guys, of course, here at Outlander Media, they love it. They've got some great stuff. I mean, the, the Bigfoot blend, I think, is their favorite. You got Mothman. You got all the other great coffees that they have there. Of course, you'll need uh, a coffee grinder there to do it. They just send you the beans. They've all been roasted. They've got medium or just dark roasted coffee, so check them all out. If you go to otherworldlycoffee.com, anything you get from there, if you go to the checkout and you type in Outlander, you're going to get 20% off your order, which is just amazing. That covers even more than the taxes and the shipping. So check them out, otherworldlycoffee.com, and of course, joeshirt.com. we got to thank both of them for just being great friends here of the Outlander Media Network family. Love them to death. Cannot wait to see what else they've got for us. Meanwhile, let's hop in and everything going on in the world of shibbles and bits. And of course, yes, we've talked plenty of college football on the show. We've barely talked NFL because all that stupid offseason stuff. Like, I don't care about Ezekiel Elliott's contract until he's back playing on the field. I don't care about Antonio Brown's helmet anymore. They're not playing games. Just get me the games and get them on. My goodness, it's just frustrating because that's all you talk about because... NFL and college football is what moves the needle. So any little tiff or thing you have, that's the best you get. So, but hey, games start this Thursday. So NFL finally kicks off. I'm so excited for it. It's great to have my Sundays back with NFL football coming. I can't wait to see, of course, you had the Patriots winning yet another Super Bowl. Tom Brady just cementing himself as the greatest of all time. So we're looking forward to that. And, of course, the Packers and the Bears kick it off on NBC on Thursday night. So I'm excited to see that. Uh, Of course, my beloved 49ers, we'll see what happens with them. Uh, Is Garoppolo, if he's healthy the whole season, maybe they can get above 500. We'll have to wait and see. We'll see what happens there. But just real quick, going to break down who I've got winning the divisions, who I've got as my wild card picks, and then who I've got in the Super Bowl. Of course, the easiest pick for almost for all, more than the past decade is the AFC East. Just pick the Patriots to win the division again, and that's what I'm doing. Why not? Tom Brady is still there. Yeah, they've lost some people. They always lose people. They always put people in their places. Tom Brady is still there with Bill Belichick. I'm picking the Patriots to win the AFC East. Meanwhile, in the North, everybody's been talking about what the Cleveland Browns are going to be able to do. They're going to have to prove it to me. And until then, I'm going with the Steelers. Ben Roethlisberger now is free of Antonio uh, Brown and Le'Veon Bell just causing all the problems there in Pittsburgh. So I think Roethlisberger with Connor as the running back and Juju Smith-Schuster is still there and still a very good wide receiver. I think the Steelers are going to win that division. The Browns and the Ravens and the Bengals, I don't trust any of them. The Browns are just going to have to show it to me. Nothing the Browns have ever done has proven that they're going to be winners. So until they actually just show that they're going to win... I'm going with the Steelers, and I've got them winning the AFC North. In the South, who knows at this point? Uh, I mean, Andrew Luck is out with the Colts. I don't trust Mariota and the rest of them in Tennessee. And, you know, who knows what's going on with the Jaguars. So until then, I'm going to go with the team with the best defensive player in J.J. Watt and quite possibly the best quarterback now in that division and that's Deshaun Watson with the Texans. So I'm still going, even though they lost Lamar Miller to an ACL tear, I'm going with the Texans to win the AFC South. I've got the Chiefs out West. My goodness, they're stacked on offense. I love what they've been able to do out there, so I'm going with the Chiefs. In the wild card, I've got the Chargers. Again, if the Chargers were in any other division, 
than the AFC West with what the Chiefs have been doing. I would have the Chargers winning that division. But again, they're going to have to fall into the wild card position. And then I've got the Colts. For some weird reason, the Colts, they finally have an offensive line. I think they finally got more talent that would have been around Andrew Luck. So I still think they're going to be able to make it into the playoffs, but just barely. Meanwhile, out in the NFC, I've got the Eagles winning just a weird NFC East with all the talk, of course, being about the Cowboys and, and of course, the Giants and who knows what dumpster fire mess the Redskins have been lately. But I've got the Eagles. I think Carson Wentz is finally going to be able to play a full season. So I've got him leading the Eagles to the NFC East Championship. The North, I've got the Bears just relying on that defense. I think Mitch Trubisky is going to do enough not to screw things up. I'm not worried about the Bears kicking situation until they get into the playoffs, so I don't have to worry about that. In the South, I'm going with the Saints. I think the Saints are on a path of vengeance. I think they're going to be challenged, of course, by the Atlanta Falcons, but I still like the Saints getting the win in the division there. Meanwhile, out West, I've got the Rams. I mean, Jared Goff is just going to be a, a solid quarterback. They've got all the talent out there in the world. I'm going with the Rams, winning the West. The wild card, I think it's between the Cowboys, the Vikings, the Packers, and the Falcons going into the last couple of weeks of the season. I'm going to go with the Cowboys and the Vikings. I still think the Cowboys have enough talent, and I think eventually, if the Cowboys start out rough, Jerry Jones, just like he did a generation ago with Emmett Smith, I think Jerry might finally blink and bring him in. But I still think the Cowboys are going to get into the wild card. And I've got the Vikings. I think the Vikings, again, have a really good just top-to-bottom team. I think they finally put it together and get at least into the playoffs. For my Super Bowl, I'm going with the matchup that probably should have been there last year, depending on how things went. I'm going with the Patriots versus the Saints. I think that's going to be another great matchup. And let's see if... Tom and the Patriots can get Super Bowl number seven. I hope not. I would root for Drew Brees and the Saints in that one, but that's what I've got. There's your NFL preview. Meanwhile, some of the other things going on in the world of sports. You've got the U.S. Open happening in Flushing Meadows. My goodness, the run Coco Goff, 16-year-old. She had a great run at Wimbledon that ended in the fourth round. She lost in the third round this time against, of course, the number one player in the world, Naomi Osaka. My goodness, they had a great match. And then... It was just great sportsmanship as Coco Gauff finally you know, showed the fact that she's 16 years old and just moved to tears, but Osaka kept her on the court, and they did a post-match interview together, which was just great, and the crowd responded to it way better than they did uh, with the way they treated Osaka uh, last year after what happened with everything with Serena in the finals and the fact that they didn't give Osaka the credit she was due. I was rooting for Osaka to really win this because I wanted her to actually get a you know fair treatment from the New York fans after what happened last year with everything with Serena and the chair umpire. She didn't get her fair due at all there. But uh, Osaka unfortunately lost in the next round by Belinda uh, Benchik of Switzerland. So we'll have to see what happens as all that shakes out. Serena Williams still out there and still dominating, still looking really well. She uh, is going to go up against. Uh, Kuiang Wang, I believe, uh, against China, the 18 seed who beat uh, Ashley Barty, who won, uh, has been a Grand Slam winner this year already and was the two seed. So that was going to be a good match with Serena. Now, of course, you've got Wang versus Serena, which still should be fun. We'll see if Serena is finally able to get over that hump and finally win that you know, record-setting Grand Slam. Meanwhile, on the men's side, Novak Djokovic had to retire in his match against Stan Wawrinka. 
Uh, also from Switzerland, the crowd was booing. But again, if Djokovic is in that much pain that he's got to retire, I know the fans, of course, pay a lot of money for those tickets. But if you can't get it done, you can't get it done. And again, it's the New York crowd. They're going to boo no matter what. So it still sucks of that situation. But hey, if you know Djokovic has won enough Grand Slams to know what his body's doing. And if he can't go, he can't go. And you've got to just give up that match and let Warrenka... Uh, move on. Meanwhile, Federer and Nadal, they've breezed into the quarterfinals. They haven't really even been pressed at all. So again, it's probably going to come down to Federer or Nadal hoisting the trophy at the end. Of course, we'll talk all about that here on Modern Day Gladiators. Moving to baseball. Finally, uh, something really good in this age of just you pitch five innings, you go to the bullpen and pitch counts and all that. Finally had a good and team no-hitters. We finally had a good old-fashioned regular one-pitcher no-hitter, Justin Verlander, one of my favorites. He threw his third career no-hitter, this time against the Toronto Blue Jays on Sunday. He had 14 strikeouts in that one. He's only the sixth pitcher with at least three no-hitters. And that list includes Nolan Ryan, Sandy Koufax, Cy Young, uh, Larry Corncoran, and Bob Feller. I mean, when you're on a list like that, especially with Nolan Ryan, Sandy Koufax, and Cy Young, that's really good company to be in. So congratulations there for Justin Verlander. Um, my goodness. It, um, he, and he's had a couple of near misses as well, but he's just an, an old school workhorse. I love what he does. And hey, he's got a pretty hot wife in Kate Upton. So everything's coming up Justin Verlander out there. And meanwhile, his Houston Astros, they have pretty much all, just almost wrapped up their division. I mean, out West, uh, the Astros are up 10 and a half games on the Oakland A's. So they're just almost in cruise control. Meanwhile, the rest of the MLB's uh, MLB races coming in as we're now into September. Uh, the Yankees are up nine games on the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Red Sox are way out of it at this point. Meanwhile, the Central is the only race out there that has any type of competition. Uh, the Twins are up five and a half games on the Indians as of this recording. Meanwhile, you've got the wild card. Tampa is in a wild card right now. Meanwhile, Cleveland is also in there. The A's are one game back, and then the Red Sox are five and a half games back as well. So we've got some work to do, but at least we got a couple of races on the AL side to pay attention to. Meanwhile, in the National League, don't have to worry about the West. The Dodgers are up 18 games. My goodness, how terrible. How good are the Dodgers, and how terrible is the rest of the National League West? My goodness. Then you look at the National League East. The Braves are up six and a half. They ended the miracle run of the Mets, it looks like. Everybody was piling on with the Mets, and then they just ran into the buzzsaw that was the Atlanta Braves. The Braves are up six and a half games in that division. Uh, and meanwhile, in the Central, the Cardinals are up three games on the Cubs and then up seven games on the Brewers. So that one looks like the interesting matchup there. We'll see, of course, as we race to the finish in Major League Baseball. This is when baseball is just the most fun as the March to October continues. The wild card heating up the Nationals uh, are comfortably in right now. They've got a three and a half game plus advantage on the Cubs who are also in. And then the Cubs have a two and a half game advantage on Philly. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks are three and a half back. Meanwhile, the Brewers and Mets are both four games back. So the wild card definitely still well up for grabs out there in the National League. One last bit of news here in the world of sports that's kind of ridiculous, honestly. LeBron James, of course, he's just got Anthony Davis there with him in the Lakers, but 
He's done a thing, you know, he does this on social media all the time. He shouts, you know, Taco Tuesday, and now he's filed a uh, trademark on it. Almost as ridiculous as Tom Brady filing a trademark for Tom Terrific, even though that's obviously Tom Seaver. But uh, he's looking to monetize his popular videos by filing a trademark for the term Taco Tuesday. You know, they filed the, the, the paperwork with the patent office. Uh, it states that the goods and services involved with the trademark involve advertising and marketing services provided by means of indirect methods of marketing, communications, namely on social media, uh, podcasting services, online entertainment. Uh, a source told ESPN's Brian Windhorst that James's team uh, has no firm plans for the term but wants to keep all business opportunities open. Uh, of course, you know there are also 29 other uh, places of filing Taco Tuesday – which has just been nuts. Other services listed by companies requesting the term are for electrical appliances, clothing, and of course, you know, for tacos, which is what it is. Uh, in fact, the restaurant chain Taco John's, which has a corporate office in Wyoming, because when I think tacos, I think Wyoming, had a trademark on the term Taco Newsday, uh, Tuesday for restaurant services as far back as 1989. So honestly, LeBron, yes, it's cute. It's adorable what you do on social media with Taco Tuesday, but as terms to filing a trademark on it and trying to monetize it, this is what I tell you. That's what I do with your request for that, personally. It, it, come on. I mean, you, you can't just keep trademarking everything. As Ohio State tried to trademark the, and we'll see how that goes. It just drives me insane. Anyway, moving into the world of professional wrestling, inside the squared circle as we wrap things up. My goodness, we had a crazy week of wrestling this weekend, and it had really nothing to do, of course, with the main roster of the WWE. You had New Japan with Royal Quest, you had uh, AEW All Out, and then you also had NXT uh, UK with their takeover in Cardiff, Wales. Let's start kind of chronologically how all this happened. First, New Japan Royal Quest at the Copper Box in London. Just a classic match between Okada and Minoru Suzuki for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Okada getting the win there. Looks like he's going to be challenged by Sonata, who pinned him in the G1. So that's looking good. You've got a new British Heavyweight Champion as Hiroshi Tanahashi ended the 250-plus day reign of Zack Sabre Jr. Oh my goodness. Will Ospreay versus Ro and Robbie Eagles versus uh, Taiji Ishimori and El Fantasmo of the Bullet Club. What a great matchup there as those guys just went high flying with plenty of flips and hits and everything. It was just amazing. And you have a new never open uh, never open weight champion as Kenta defeated Tomohiro Ishii. Kenta looked like he suffered some sort of concussion there. We'll have to see where that goes, but it looks like setting up for the next couple of months, of course, as the uh, IWGP champ has to defend his belt a couple more times before Wrestle Kingdom, and also the uh, the man who won the G1 and the right to challenge for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship in the Tokyo Dome January 4th. Uh, Kota Ibushi has to defend that briefcase a couple of times. It looks like the first one is going to be against one of the men who did pin him in uh, one of those matchups in the G1, and that's going to be with Kenta. And also, looks like coming up soon here, you're going to have Tetsuya Naito versus Jay White, which should be an incredible matchup for Naito's Intercontinental Championship in New Japan. My goodness, NXT UK TakeOver Cardiff. You had uh, Cesaro uh, traveling overseas, taking a break from the main roster uh, to take on... Ilda Droganoff in a very good match. That match was amazing. You got new tag team champions of Wales' own Mark Andrews and 
uh, Flash Jordan, which was amazing. We got a new women's champ. Kaylee Ray defeated Tony Storm in what I thought was a shorter match than it needed to be. It didn't let that match breathe like the rest of them. But my goodness, probably the match of the weekend had to be the NXT uh, UK Championship, or actually it's just the United Kingdom Championship match. Walter defeating Tyler Bate in just a wonderful 40-minute match. You watch that match. It was amazing. Tons of false finishes. Just a great match of the, the smaller guy in Tyler Bate fighting to try everything he can to knock off the just behemoth that is Walter. Uh, what a just an amazing match. Check it out. If you've got the WWE Network, you would do well as a wrestling fan to check that one out. Of course, the match of Royal Quest was Okada versus Minoru Suzuki. So check both of those out if you got those streaming services. And meanwhile, AEW All Out happened. Again, you had Nyla Rose winning the Battle Royal. I believe I called that one here. Meanwhile, you had just a great match with uh, Pac defeating Kenny Omega. Of course, Pac in because John Moxley was injured, but he tapped out Kenny Omega in just an amazing match. We'll see storyline where Kenny Omega goes from here because the two big primetime matches Kenny Omega has had, he's lost both of them. He lost to Jericho at Double or Nothing, and now he's lost to Pac at All Out. So we'll see where Kenny goes from there. Cody defeated Sean Spears. That was great. Of course, it seemed almost like the two um, legends that were around the ringside, a couple of members of the OG Four Horsemen, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, seem to be the most over people in the entire match. Arn Anderson, who looks almost like AAA Arn Anderson instead of AA at this point, but what a great old-school spinebuster. Still the best one out there. Great spinebuster uh, to Spears, and of course Cody getting the win in that one. Poor Pharaoh, uh, the uh, just white Siberian husky that uh, Cody and Brandy Rhodes have. Uh, the pyro went off, and that just terrified the poor dog. That was probably not wise. Heck, where I am in a bowling alley, and I see dogs come down there, and it's like, that is not wise. They don't like the loud noises. My goodness, poor Pharaoh there. Uh, but anyway, some usual just great stuff because you had these great technical matches like Pac versus Kenny Omega. You had just an old-school Mid-South overbooked crazy brawl with Cody and Sean Spears. Then you had a, just a, a classic 2019 spot fest with the Lucha Bros defeating the Young Bucks for, uh, and again, the Lucha Bros retaining their AAA Tag Team Championships. Seen these guys wrestle a lot over the past couple of months. Hopefully this is the last time for some time. Um, but of course at the end, I guess we'll see where this goes, but Santana and Ortiz, uh, formerly known as LAX back in Impact, are now with AEW, beat up both guys, so we'll see where that goes. And meanwhile, for your first ever AEW World Heavyweight Champion, it goes to Chris Jericho, defeating Hangman Page. It was a long match. That was one of the problems, again. We've always talked about how long some of these pay-per-views go. My goodness, I wish they'd stop with these five, six, seven-hour marathons that I get sometimes when you include the pre-show. Just have it at four hours. I loved SummerSlam. SummerSlam was just not the just drain that some of these other big events are, which made me very happy. So we'll have to see where they go from there. That was the only real down I had, especially from... Uh, AEW's All Out was just how long it was. I mean, you can shorten some of these matches by 5-10 minutes, and they're still going to have the same gravitas, just not as just crazy and just long, and just sometimes it can become a drag by the end of it, where the crowds just had it by the end of it. The WWE should have learned that, um, and we'll just have to see where that goes. Meanwhile, on Raw, the biggest things that happened, uh, Baron Corbin, of course, beat... 
Uh, Cedric Alexander, of course, the OC beat up Cedric Alexander beforehand, so he had an excuse. Meanwhile, Joe, Samoa Joe and Ricochet, they had a double pin. So now, of course, to go to the finals of the King of the Ring at Clash of the Champions, you've got Samoa Joe versus Ricochet versus Baron Corbin in a triple threat in classic WWE style. See what happens there. But the big thing was Bailey and Becky Lynch were in a tag team against, uh, against Alexa Bliss. My goodness, Bliss... And the tag team titles weren't even on the line there. Uh, and anyway, what ended up happening was Bailey turns heel. Uh, Sasha Banks came in and hit Becky Lynch over the back with a with a chair. But then what ended up coming happening was Bailey. You look like she was going to stop Sasha Banks from doing that because Bailey's been the hugger and hug life and all that stuff. But nope, she sided with her. Uh, inaugural tag team champ Sasha Banks and just walloped Becky Lynch in the back with a chair a couple of times so it looks like Bailey is now a heel with Sasha Banks we'll see where all that ties in storyline wise as we go into clash of the champions coming up here in a couple weeks and of course we'll break all that down here on modern day gladiators and of course everything going on in college football stay tuned for an in deep more in-depth dive of college football we're talking that later in the week on the college football preview uh, you know, recap the college football talk episode of Modern Day Gladiators coming up here in a little bit. Myself and Trey Pack will be on that one. But until next time, too sweet. Love you. See you next time. <laughs>